uh, if you would, open up your Bibles to Mark chapter 2. Mark chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. I, I would really like to just encourage y'all tonight to come back for our evening worship service. It is a more abbreviated service. It's about 50 minutes, 55 minutes in length, and it's where we're really doing more of an Advent series. Um, here this morning, for the next several weeks, we're continuing to look at just some of these great highlights of who Jesus is, and this is a great one. Mark chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. And when he returned to Capernaum, after some days, it was reported that he was at home. And many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. And they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And, and when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes were sitting there, questioning in their hearts, Why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, he said to them, Why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Rise, take up your bed and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he then said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose, and immediately picked up his bed, and went out before them all, so that they were all amazed, and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Our Father... We trust that it is in the preaching of the word that you are communicating to us, us as we are, not us as we pretend to be, but you communicate yourself as you are, not as we wish you were. And that is good news. For Father, you have revealed yourself here to be a God of abundant grace. But Holy Spirit, we will never believe that unless you grant us faith to believe. So would you do that? Grant us faith, maybe for the first time, grant us faith. Just strengthen it. Faith for the thousandth time. Lord Jesus, may you be glorified and may you be enjoyed forever. We ask all this in your name. Amen. Can we forgive ourselves? Can meaning a word of ability, a word of authority. Can we forgive ourselves? In other words, do we have the authority to forgive ourselves? One website, when you 
search on Google, how do you forgive yourself, they give these steps. They say, first, you need to understand your emotions. Second, you need to accept responsibility for what happened. Third, you need to treat yourself with kindness and compassion. Fourth, you need to express remorse for your mistakes. Fifth, you need to make amends and apologize, including apologizing to yourself. Sixth, you need to look for ways to learn from the experience. And then whatever number this is, eight, seven, or however many I'm at. You need to focus on making better choices in the future. This is what our world is constantly telling us today. That you need to forgive yourself. The question is, do we have that authority? Is this really how this is done? I think some questions I would have for the people who, who wrote this on the website is this. What if we aren't remorseful enough? What if we can't apologize enough? What if we repeat those sins? And then I think the big question is this. Is the God of infinite holiness and infinite justice, is he really just waiting for us to forgive ourselves? The Bible gives a fundamentally different answer than what we often give today. We are often telling people that their biggest need is you just need to forgive yourself. The Bible is saying this, you don't have that authority. You can't forgive yourself. And even if you forgive yourself, it's not really doing anything. Really this, if you want to find forgiveness, you need to come to Jesus Christ. And what you need to do is not think, I need to forgive myself, but I need to believe that he has forgiven me. Amen? That's the gospel. And what this text is showing us is fundamentally this. We don't have the authority to forgive ourselves, but Jesus Christ does. Jesus has the authority to forgive your sins. Go back at verse 1. When he entered to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. It's in uh, Capernaum, which was in Galilee, which would have been his home base. Uh, Jesus was born in Bethlehem, and he grew up in Nazareth. But then whenever he uh, was getting ready to, to, to really be in ministry, he made Capernaum his uh, home base, basically. And so after some days of ministering, he came back to Capernaum. And people reported that, well, he was there. And so naturally what you would see is many people gathered in his home. Uh, now, the way these homes were organized and structured was that most likely uh, this would have been a very small home and probably numerous people would have lived in that home. And homes would have been connected uh, to each other and they would have all collectively shared a courtyard. Uh, that, that is a lot of the archaeological evidence that we have. And so maybe most likely uh, that's what his home was like. But even then, even with numerous maybe homes around or even just his home, it says many were gathered and so many that it was overflowing. This word for many is most likely meaning that several hundred people were gathering. Just imagine that feeling of uh, being claustrophobic in your home with hundreds of people gathering. 
And when these people are gathering, they're overflowing. What do we find Jesus doing? Preaching. As one pastor has often said, and many pastors have said, God had one son and he made him a preacher. What Jesus is doing is that he is living out the office of prophet. There were prophets in the Old Testament and they would speak God's word to tell people who God was. And all those prophets were foreshadowing the great one prophet to come who is Jesus Christ. Jesus is the ultimate revelation of who God is. He is God in our flesh, and he is telling us who God is. He is the prophet. And I love that of all the things that Jesus could be doing, you think about all the different needs these people had, or the things that they wanted him to do, or maybe other ways he could get popular in ministry. What was the way that Jesus thought was the best way to build the church. What was the way in which he believed how God made Christians and how he matured Christians? What was the way in which God grants faith and grows faith? The preaching of the word. It is so ordinary and it is so regular. There is nothing fancy about this. But it is what God has ordained to make Christians and mature Christians. That's why we do this all the time. It's why we want to be an ordinary means of grace church where we don't try to do a lot of fancy things. We just do a bunch of ordinary, supernatural things that God loves to work through. It's the preaching of the word that Jesus is doing here, that he's building up this people with. But then you notice something. Look at verse 3. And they came to him. Talking about this other group of five men. Four of them carrying one of the men. It says, and they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. Now most likely, what would have been happening in that home is that the roof for their home would not be like many of our roofs that are slanted. But their roof would have been flat. Uh, they would use the roof a lot. And so probably what's happening is as the people are overflowing out of the house and trying to be within earshot of hearing Jesus, these guys are so desperate to get to Jesus where they say, look, let's at least try to go to the roof and we'll just tunnel our way down. And so they probably go on the outside of the home and walk up the stairs and they get to the thatched roof and I just, it's, I don't know, we don't know what's going on, but you can only imagine this. Is Jesus still teaching and preaching while they're like opening the roof above him? Well, like what in the world is going on? Uh, just ignore that and listen to me. Um, I don't know if y'all remember the time when the cricket was here in the corner and would just, you know, uh, that was not a roof coming off. But what we see is this. These guys are desperate to get to Jesus. They're, they're going to get there one way or another. But I think there's also something really important here. Notice who is doing all the action for this paralyzed man. Is it the paralyzed man? No. Look, look, at, look, at, look at how to read scripture here. Look at verse 3. They came. 
They were bringing to him a paralytic. Verse 4, they could not get near him because of the crowd. They removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let the bed down. Jesus saw their faith. Notice this, the paralytic is totally helpless. And that is always the way the Bible shows what our spiritual condition is without Jesus Christ. We are not saved because we cooperate with God. We never would. We are not saved because we have the ability in and of ourselves. We are the paralyzed man. God must do a miracle. What's very interesting to note also is that back in this day, Jewish people would have really interpreted this man's paralysis, this man's suffering, as being directly tied to some grievous sin in his life. They would have thought, although it wasn't accurate, they would have seen this man paralyzed and they would have thought, man, what sort of heinous sin does this guy have in his past that made him end up like this? We know from other places in scripture that that is not always true. Sometimes it may be true, but it is certainly not always true. And we don't know about this man's past in here, but certainly this is what the people around him would have been thinking. In other words, when they saw this man, not only was he extremely suffering, but he was one of those extreme sinners. Well, they remove the roof, and they make an opening, and they figure out a way to lower him down. Look at verse 5. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. When Jesus says, Son, you have to remember what this term is. It really, the Greek word means child. It's a term of family. So you realize what Jesus is saying here to this guy, of all people, who is Jesus owning to be in his family? This guy who supposedly is a very heinous sinner. Because you know what? That's the only types of people Jesus saves. Amen? None of us, including if we were... You know, praise the Lord, we may have been born into a Christian family. We may have received the sign and seal of baptism. We may have grown up in a very solid church. But that does not mean by default that you are a believer. You must believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's the only way. And this paralytic, salvation is being bestowed upon him as the king of glory looks at him and says... Son. And my friends, that is what you have regardless of what your sin is. Amen? When you become a believer, you're not barely brought into the outer realms of heaven and you just say, well, the really holy people are in there. I'll just kind of be a gatekeeper. You are brought as near to Jesus Christ as you could possibly be. You are made a son. You receive the inheritance. You're adopted into his family. God the Father treats you as if you lived the life that God the Son did. Son. 
But then he says this, son, I love this, your sins are forgiven. Not just son, sins are forgiven. As if it was just a theological lecture. Notice what Jesus does. Your sins are forgiven. He makes it personal. Salvation is not a private matter that we just keep between ourselves and we never fellowship with other believers. It's not private. It is corporate. But salvation is always personal. Jesus does not just cast a wide net and say, I'll just take whatever's in the net. He calls you by name. He saves you from your sin, from your predicament. To bring you to be with him, he desires you. He says, son, your sins are forgiven. Now, how much of an offense would that have been to all the people around him? Surely there would be more deserving people to forgive, right? We'll actually look at that a little bit later. But see how freely Jesus forgives sins. And that is what he does. He forgives. When it says there, son, your sins are forgiven, I want you to notice this. Does Jesus say, son, your sins have been forgiven? Is that what it says? No. Does it say this, son, your sins will be forgiven? Is that what it says? No. What does it say? Son, your sins are forgiven. That's in the present tense. That means this. Son, right here, right now, regardless of anything that's been going on, regardless of anything you could ever do, you have entered always into the present state of being fully, finally forgiven. Amen? You realize that? Jesus is telling this paralytic that you have entered into such a salvation that can never be taken away from you. You are always in the present forgiven. And that message will transform you. We'll look at that later. What, what, what Jesus is telling the paralytic is that you don't need to go and do something else in order to then receive forgiveness. You're forgiven now. This is not something that's going to, you know, happen later on after you finish these certain steps. No, no, you've entered into this now. This is what we call the doctrine, or at least in part, this is revealing the doctrine of justification. Justification is the one-time act that happens immediately when you're saved. It's the one-time act of God's free grace. And here's what he does. In, in justification, God does two things. He forgives you of all your sins. And he clothes you with the righteousness of Christ. When we do the assurances up here, why do we do two assurances? Because we don't need to just know that we've been forgiven. We also need to be assured that Christ's righteousness has been given to us. My friends, if you've just been forgiven of your sins... But if you, if you don't have a positive righteousness, then theoretically in that, if you've been forgiven, then now you need to work to earn a righteousness for yourself. But that's not the gospel. 
The gospel is not only that you've been forgiven of your sins, but you've been clothed with the righteousness of Christ. And you can rest in that. And that is an act of total free grace. God gives us the righteousness of Christ, and we receive that by faith alone. And who gives us that faith? God does. Isn't that amazing? It is so free. Nothing could be more possibly free than this. And Jesus just, the audacity just to give it to this man. When Jesus forgives this man's sins, it shows that he is not only prophet, but he's also priest. Naturally, the people respond with saying, who in the world can do this? Only God can do this. Don't listen to what some people will say that maybe in the book of John that Jesus says he's God, but nowhere else in the Gospels does Jesus ever say he's God. It's very clear here. Everyone understood what Jesus was implying here because Jesus is saying this. If I can forgive sins, that is declaring that something that only God can do, therefore I am God. That's why they said, he's blaspheming. Don't miss that they recognize that. We see in Isaiah 43, verse 25, God says, I, I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake. And I will remember your sins no more. Forgiveness of sins is something only God can do. Daniel 9, 9 says, To the Lord our God belong mercy and forgiveness, for we have rebelled against him. Notice that Jesus does not say, thus says the Lord to you, your sins are forgiven. He doesn't say that. He himself forgives this man's sins. And the people pick up on that. They realize what he's doing. So how does he respond? Look at verse 6. Some of the scribes were questioning him, and they said in their hearts, who... Why does this man speak like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they questioned him in this way, he said to them, why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your bed, and walk? Now, in one sense, it's a lot easier to say your sins are forgiven. What Jesus is doing here is that he's arguing that if you see this outward sign, then it is confirming the inward reality. That's what it's doing. You know, they, they don't see the forgiveness of sins. They hear it, and they start to doubt among themselves. They think, who in the world does this guy think he is? Jesus is going to confirm that he has the authority to do this, and that God is endorsing his message by doing a miracle. So Jesus says, look, okay, do you want to see if this guy's sins are really forgiven? Let's do this. Son, I tell you, rise, take up your bed and go home. What's amazing is that it happens. And by the way, don't miss this. It actually happened. In real history, 2,000 years ago, 
It happened in Galilee with hundreds of people there watching him. It would be incredibly prideful and audacious for us 2,000 years later who obviously are so smart and know everything to say that somehow these hundreds of people had no clue what they were talking about. And in front of all of them, they're all right there. He simply tells this man, get up. By the way, when's the last time you've heard about a God who can speak into nothing and something happens? And that's what happens here. By doing this, Jesus is showing that he really is the prophet. But it's also showing this, that because he's been declaring that he has the authority to forgive sins, God, by this miracle, is confirming that his message is true. Therefore, Jesus Christ is God. Amen? Jesus Christ is God. He is, actually Jesus says here, he is the son of man. Son of man would have been, in one sense, just a very common term for just saying he's human. But you also see something very fascinating in Daniel chapter 7. In Daniel chapter 7, Daniel has a vision. It says someone like a son of man who ascends to the highest throne in heaven, to the ancient of days. And he, the son of man, receives glory and honor and dominion. He, the Son of Man, in Daniel 7, is seen as God. Do you see what Jesus is telling us so clearly? He's not giving such a simple statement saying, hey, I'm God. He is giving us a profoundly beautiful portrayal that he is the King of kings and Lord of lords. Amen? Jesus is prophet and he is priest, and he is also king. And before everyone's eyes, this happens. What we see here is this, is that with Jesus Christ, there is forgiveness. With Jesus Christ, there is justification. But we also have to remember this, how in the world can this happen? Because that Jesus Christ must go to the cross. There can be no forgiveness unless God's justice is satisfied. And that's why Jesus went to the cross. He went to the cross to satisfy God's judgment, to take the wrath of God that sinners deserve, that all of God's people who would be saved, he took all of that wrath upon himself on that cross so that he could freely forgive us. Amen? Jesus, who is the God-man, he is the only one who has the authority to forgive sins. But Jesus does not only have authority, he has audacity. And this is one of the big things that I want to apply for us this morning. Maybe some of us and certainly some of them would have been saying this. 
but Jesus, you don't realize all his sins. You haven't known him like we know him. How can you just forgive someone so freely? Surely you don't expect us to treat him that way. It's like they're saying this, Jesus, we know more than you about the depth of his sin and the depravity of his heart, the years he's been in this sin and the heinousness of it. That's so often what we do to each other. Sometimes what we say about ourselves when we say, I don't know if this sin of mine can be forgiven. We pretend to know more than God. But Jesus knows exactly what this man's sins are. He knows this man's sins better than the man himself. He knows not only this man's sins, but he knows this man's sinful nature and his sinful heart. And no one has the standard of holiness that Jesus Christ does. Because he is holiness. If somebody hated sin most in this world, it is obviously, clearly, Jesus Christ. Because he's just. And he's holy. And Jesus knew exactly what it would cost him if he were to forgive this man's sin. And what we see here and what we have to remember is this, is that if Jesus is God in our flesh, God who is of infinite worth, infinite value, infinite beauty, if he has come to earth to take on flesh, if that is Jesus Christ, then Jesus is of infinite worth, infinite value, infinite beauty. So my friends, let me ask you this. Can any amount of sin match up to infinitude? So therefore, Jesus is saying this. You need to realize who I am and that I am plenty far away and above what this man and his sins are. I am sufficient for this man. Jesus is showing us here that no matter how bad our sin is, his mercy is always more. Amen? I love what one person told me years ago when I was struggling to embrace the forgiveness of Christ. And he just looked at me and he really knew my soul and he knew whenever he needed to be gentle and when he needed to kind of, Genesis 32, the angel of the Lord and Jacob wrestling. He knew when he needed to kind of wrestle my conscience. And he said, who in the world do you think you are to say that this sin can't be forgiven? Some of us need to hear that. Who in the world do you think you are to think that, oh, well, so-and-so's sins can be forgiven, but I don't know about mine. Or these sins of mine can be forgiven, but I don't know about this one. You need to look at Jesus Christ. Because he is far greater than any of your sins can be. Amen? Now, this message is scandalous because we think, well, surely this just gives people a license to sin. People are going to go crazy. They're going to abuse this message. They're just going to want to live in sin, do whatever they want. Unless this message is God's power. And that's exactly what Romans 1.16 says. 
Paul says, I am unashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation. And he doesn't merely mean to be converted. When Paul says salvation, he means the entire process of salvation. Meaning this, the gospel of free grace, and always free grace, is not only enough to convert you, but to change you. This message does not leave people the same. We actually see this when in world history, there's you know, innumerable instances, but one that came up yesterday was thinking about William Wilberforce. William Wilberforce was a major influence of having the slave trade abolished in Great Britain And it was one of the first countries in the history of the world to abolish the slave trade on the whole scale. Do you know who one of William Wilberforce's biggest influences was? A former slave trader named John Newton. Think about that. A former slave trader named John Newton, who by the way wrote the hymn Amazing Grace, that's how that song makes sense. John Newton, who was a slave trader, was described as someone by his other shipmates. They said that he was the worst of all of them. And that person was converted and seen the the free grace of the gospel. He saw that Christ is sufficient. He doesn't need to go and do X, Y, and Z first to receive forgiveness. He just needs to believe in Jesus. He needs to move forward in trusting in Christ and let Christ transform and change his life. And he did. And that free grace was what Newton pastored. And what hundreds of other men and women in that time pastored. And that gospel transformed society. Amen? This gospel transforms people. And it's always by grace. It is never by sneaking law in there. The gospel of grace transforms us to willingly, lovingly learn to obey God more and more. But you don't get that result and consequence by getting people off the gospel of grace to only focus on, are you doing enough? Have you gone back and visited your past enough? You tell them, look to Jesus Christ. And you look at what happens after some time, and they will be transformed. Amen? Maybe some of us are saying, but Jesus, how can you just forgive the sins that were clearly so bad to have made this man paralyzed? But here's the thing about the gospel. It's either free or it's not. It's either free or we don't have it at all. Because if God is so holy, and if sin is so great, we could never earn forgiveness in the least. It is incredibly prideful for us to think somehow we deserve God's grace. By the way, the moment you deserve grace is the moment it is no longer grace. Literally, by definition. It is either totally free, 
despite your entire sin condition, or it's nothing. And Jesus gives it so freely. He knows this man. He knows his sin, and he just freely gives it to him because it cannot be given unless it's free. I remember preaching about this one time, and I, I remember saying, uh, that is just, it's, it's wild. It's amazing. It's, it's, it's crazy. It's stunning. I didn't have enough words to describe it. And someone came up to me afterward and said, now, I don't, I don't think we need to be saying those words about the gospel being wild and crazy. I don't, then, then this is just perfectly normal. You know, let's just treat the gospel like it's just, you know, it's just not really that big of a deal. Are you kidding me here? Do you realize what this means for any type of person who comes in here? Anywhere that you or I might bring the gospel. Do you realize that anyone can be saved? Regardless of what they've done. They don't pass go, collect $200. They go straight to jail. You get what I'm saying. It's not jail. You can come up to anyone. This is what it means. I was asked this question recently. Can the world's worst war criminal, or can someone who's on death row, who has done so many horrible things, you're, t- you're telling me that on their deathbed they could just so simply ask Christ to forgive them and and, and you're telling me that if the Holy Spirit, if that's a real work of his, then you're telling me that even within seconds of them dying that they're just forgiven? Yeah. Wait, you're telling me that someone who can grow up in church and be in a really solid family and can grow up and be, have a great you know, reputation and can be doing a lot of this, this stuff. They can be giving away millions of dollars to philanthropy. They can be attending every Bible study. They can know about theology and all these different things. But if they don't believe in Christ, you're telling me that that person goes to hell while the other person goes to heaven? Yes. Because we can't save ourselves. You either trust in Jesus Christ and have the forgiveness of sins or it's nothing. And what's amazing is that when that's been at the heart of the message that's gone forth wherever it's gone forth, that's when you've seen people actually get along with each other who you thought there's no way they could get along. I'll give you an example. A couple weeks ago, I told you about a story about a guy named, it's not, well, sometimes I don't like using the word story because it sounds like it's make-believe. It's not. Um, a friend of mine, Derek Bright, who is a PCA pastor in Alabama, he goes every week and he ministers to the Bibb County Federal Prison. And I told you about how uh, one of the guys in there right now is a guy named Stephen Parker. Stephen Parker uh, has murdered multiple people. Uh, he used to be the, the head of this group that was uh, the, the, the West Alabama Aryans, which is basically white supremacy. Twenty years ago, God did such a work on his heart And it was not a message of be better, do more. It was a message of free grace. And now Stephen Parker, because of wholly the work of God in his heart, 
is not only in Bible studies, but he's leading seminary-level classes. Do you know who one of his best friends in the prison is? A black man. How does that happen? The gospel grace. It's the only way. Nothing else can manipulate that. It either really happens in the heart or it doesn't. And that's what has happened throughout the ages. No matter what people group, no matter what time, no matter what issues, the gospel of grace freely forgives people. And when they see how amazing Jesus Christ is, it changes you. And then you realize, wait, if so-and-so has been forgiven freely and I've been forgiven freely, then who am I to hold this bitterness and grudge toward them? Isn't this amazing? What we see here is Jesus Christ having the authority to forgive sins and the ramifications that flow out of it. I remember reading this instance of a pastor saying this a few years ago in an attempt to engage more effectively with some very uh, involved members of my congregation. And I agreed with them to participate in uh, basically uh, a ministry-related visit to a maximum security prison. And this pastor says this, I'll never forget the experience of visiting a group of men on death row. I walked up to one of the tiny cell windows and looked inside, and there, sitting on the end of a cot, I saw a man reading his Bible. He got up from his bed, and he offered me his hand through the little slot. Then he asked me if he could pray for me, and if there was anything going on in my life that I was seeking prayer for. He took my hand and we prayed together, brothers in Christ, standing on the same stage before our Heavenly Father with that big metal door between us. My friends, you must believe in Jesus Christ to be forgiven. But if you believe in Jesus Christ, it does not matter what happens in your life. You are forgiven. Amen? That's the gospel of grace. It'll turn your world upside down. Let's pray. Our Father, we are asking that you would direct us, usher us, move us towards your Son. But that won't happen. It can't happen unless, Holy Spirit, you do such a miraculous work in us. And would you do that? Would you call us to yourself? And even now, O oh Lord, for those who have been admitted to the Lord's Supper, would you prepare us where we might feast upon our Lord and Savior? We ask all this in his name. Amen.